Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is Growing Bold and Sexuality. And our guest is Andrew Gerzer, who is a disability awareness consultant and cripple content creator and has cerebral palsy. In this episode, we'll discover what it's like to be, as Andrew calls himself, a queer cripple and how he's attempting to change our homonormative and beautiful body culture. Andrew, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, let's start at the beginning. You are Canadian. What's it like growing up in Canada with cerebral palsy? Uh, cold. <laughs> cold. I'm not in, I don't know what part of Australia you're in, but I'm not in the warmth of Australia. And I have, my sister actually lives there and I'm super jealous because I want to go there all the time. But it's, it's, you know, it's cold. It's, um, luckily we have free healthcare in Canada. So I'm quite happy about that. But it's, I would say it's not vastly different for anyone else living with CP in, in anywhere else. So how what's the Canadian uh, sort of their education system like, and how the how does the government accept people with disability over there? Uh, the Canadian government has we have a clause in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms that says you can't be discriminated discriminated against uh, for being disabled, but we don't. We're working on getting a Canadians with Disabilities Act, so we don't have a national act yet. It's coming. It's been tabled by our parliament i think but it's not it's not universally into law yet so i mean we do our best but there's a lot of discrimination that happens still because just fableism and i think laws are great but attitudes need to change too and this obviously influenced you becoming a disability awareness consultant can you explain to us what that is exactly yeah disability uh, disability consultants t- tend to mean like they tend to be people who look at physical access and I wanted to do something that looked at emotional access like what does it mean to, what does it feel like to be a disabled person what are mm. the emotions that go into being disabled and I really have crafted my career around telling stories about what it feels like to be disabled because most people don't really understand that part of it they understand I need to put an elevator in, I need to put a ramp in, but they don't quite get uh, the the emotional side of it. And so that's where I tend to thrive. And that's the kind of stuff I like to do. Yeah, well, you do have a, one of your brands is called Disability After Dark. And it's kind of aimed at talking about sexuality and disability through your podcast and you've got some blogs and you do presentations. Why is this Disability After Dark brand such an important thing for you? Um, it was, it's a really fun, it's a fun podcast that looks at, it, it's, we've been looking at sexuality and disability for the last three years. Uh, and we, we, we're branching out now into look at, um, just telling disability stories. I think the, the title disability after dark was first meant to be like a playful, like, Ooh, what do the disabled people do after dark? Like sexy, <laughs> but it's, it's taken on like such a such a, a deeper meaning because it's actually allowing us to uncover stories within the disability communities that we don't generally hear. And so that part's really exciting. 
So what are some of those stories? Um, we've talked about, <laughs> I've shared, you know, my first, my first experiences with sex workers. I've had people on who were in polyamorous disabled relationships. I've talked about times that I was abused by care staff, really sharing, sharing stories that, that people don't often think about when they think about disabled people that need to be heard. And so in terms of your own story as well, so you identify as a queer crippled man. When did you become aware that you were attracted to the same sex? Uh, I think when I saw, do you remember the cartoon Fox from Robin Hood? Like, like forever ago when I was Yeah, yeah. I was really, I was all, all of a sudden was like, oh, that fox has an, has an accent that I think I'm attracted to. Okay. And I was like, I was like five or six and I didn't know what it meant. And I was like, oh, that feels weird. And then I think when I was eight or nine, I was in a swimming class with like teenagers and they all had their shirts on. And I was like, oh, I think I like this. And then I, so I knew from a very young age, I knew from a very young age that I was attracted to, to men. Um, but I didn't actually come out as gay until I was 15, 16. And then I'd been coming out subsequently as a disabled person and as a queer person and as, as you know, different versions of myself since then. So is it harder to come out as a gay man when you do have cerebral palsy? Um, I think for me, I was very lucky. My family was very supportive. The minute I told my mom, she... And you'll know this because you're Aussies. She, the minute I told her, she rented Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and <laughs> made me sit down and watch it. And I was like, and she was like, if you want to be this kind of gay man, this is perfect. We can do this. And I remember <laughs> at the time saying to her, like, Mom, I'm not that kind of gay. That's not what I do. And then, ironically enough, four years later, when I went off to uni, um, I did. I I was in the campus drag show, and I called her, and I said, "Well, I guess you're right, because I'm, I'm headed to the drag show." So, so I mean, it, I was very lucky in that I got to come out to to a family that was very accepting. But I did I did worry about, oh man, I'm already disabled, and I already have I already have so much stuff against me, and now I'm going to be gay too. Like crap. Like so, I I, I did feel very conflicted about coming out, and how would that change? my relationship to my disability and how would how would other people perceive me and yeah there was a lot of stuff i think internalized ableism that i had around my disability that uh, that i that i uncovered when i started coming out and in terms of that that show that you mentioned you did you obviously were beautifully accepted by the gay community in canada um is do you think that's i don't know because of you know them being a minority as well, accepting and all that sort of thing. There's just a deeper understanding of difference. Well, not really. They weren't. They weren't super accepting. No, I, I'll. I'm gonna right. challenge that. They weren't. They actually. Uh, when I did the drag show, I had to beg them to put a ramp in because they right. said well, we're not gonna we're not gonna get a ramp for you to do the drag show. And I said, well, no, that's discrimination. You have to do that. And I would say my my interactions with the gay male community have been. You know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I feel super comfortable within the community because I haven't actually been treated super kindly every time I enter a, a gay male space. I often feel like I'm othered. So I think they have a lot of work to do to combat and deal with their own ableism. 
is this part of the sort of the body beautiful culture that I spoke about in the intro that and that homo normative thing that you're trying to change do you think yeah I think it is I mean um I mean I think that most gay men are really that I that I see not everybody but a lot of the ones that we that are put front and center are the ones who have a very certain aesthetic and a very certain body type and a very certain way of being and in homonormative culture if you're not down to have a sexual encounter right away then somehow you're invalid and with my body looking completely outside the norm being unable to go to the gym all the time unable to hold myself to a very specific aesthetic I often get overlooked or not looked at at all so I'm trying really hard to be like hey I can be in a wheelchair and I can I can you know have just as much of the sexuality as you can and be just as flirty and be just as like outgoing as you are and that's okay too and i have to say that one of my favorite topics of your podcast um that you speak about is things not to say to a cripple during sex um can you say <laughs> what some of those are i sure can and i i have i don't remember what they all are but i can only think back to um i can't remember what all of them were and what i said because i recorded that one so long ago but just be mindful of of the fact that I'm a person and like if you don't ask me where my nurse is, like don't ask me where my when my attendant care worker is gonna come back. Like don't don't overdo it. Remember there's a person involved in, in this experience with you. Um don't infantilize the person in bed. A lot of the times when I'm with an able bodied person in bed, uh they will they'll say things like, Oh, you're so you have such a nice heart. And it's like, what do you know about my heart? I want to have sex with you right now. How do you know? Like, you don't know if I'm a good person or not. I literally want to have sex with you right now. What? Like, it, like I think people forget that, like, there's a human here. That, and, like, I also think that they forget that, like, they, if I'm having sex with a non-disabled person, you're not, you're not my savior just because we're hooking up. Mm. Now that yeah, that was one of the topics in Disability After Dark. But you shine a light on a, a lot of different topics in your podcast. What are some of the topics that you do address that you, that you really wanted that you thought needed to be addressed? Uh, one of the ones I just did recently that came out this week was the time I was abused by my attendant. Like the time that I was the time one of my attendant care workers was inappropriate with me and and trapped me in bed for a couple hours, and I talked about kind of what that experience was like because I think people don't realize that abuse against disabled people and violence against disabled people happens all the time and I thought it was really it was really valuable to share that story um and then you know in the earlier episodes that I did years and years ago being able to prove that like I've had hookups outside being able to show that like I've had threesomes being able to share funny stories that I've that I've encountered trying to access my sexuality those kind of things are really fun mm. and that those kind of stories are really valuable. And in terms of those stories as well, I'm uh, a PowerChat user myself and I always encounter all these mythologies and fears around sex and disability and all these assumptions that we've touched on a little bit, but what are some of those mythologies that exist about sex and disability? Well, kind of, I kind of alluded to one, well, your genitals must not work. That's number one. Is that you, yeah, yeah. You're sitting in a chair. Your genitals must not work, which we all know is not true. But I also feel kind of kind of bad about that because there are some people with disabilities where, because of their disabilities, their genitals 
don't work the normative way. And, you know, that doesn't mean they can't engage in pleasure. If it didn't, I'd still be a valid person. And I my sexuality would still be valid. And then another myth that we encounter is, oh, you must not want to have sex. You, you, you should be focusing on access in a whole other way that is, like, about ramps and, and buttons mm-hmm. and all those things. And, like, that's nice, but... But access to like a good fuck is also like <laughs> I should be allowed to do that. <laughs> and what sort of fears do people have when they're engaging with a uh, you know a, a sexually with a, a person with disability? Some of the fears they have, the fears they have are that they're going to say something inappropriate, which is funny because them being afraid of it means they tend to do that anyway. Um, they're going to be afraid they're going to hurt me. They're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know how to lift me there. You know, they might, I've had people say, Oh, if I have sex with you, I'll catch your disability, which is just so outdated and so wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's just not, that's just not correct. And I think, I think the mythology comes down to a lack of education and a a lack of um, just a lack of knowledge. And because, because disabled sex education is not taught in schools, we don't have, I mean, at least when I was in school, it wasn't. And I, as far as I know, it's not prioritized now even. Um, you know, we don't see wheelchair users in the classroom teaching other wheelchair users or other students about sex. We don't see that as normalized. So all of these questions people have, and because we've also been taught that it's not appropriate to be rude to a disabled person or like, or like talk to a disabled person about personal stuff, Nobody has answers mm. to this. Now, I've also um, you've also said in you know, some previous um, comments and stuff that in inverted commas you've never had a con- you know a conventional relationship. Why why is that? And what do you classify as a conventional relationship? I've never had a a long term partner to date. I've never had like a, a boyfriend. I've never had a long term person, which is which I'm okay with. But I I mean I have I guess you could say my primary sex worker and I the person that I see most often is a sex worker we've been we've been having sessions now for for almost three years uh so I mean in a way I think that's a relationship but it just doesn't meet conventional models and so I've reached a point in my journey as a 36 year old man with cerebral palsy where I don't want to date I don't want to necessarily get into a long-term relationship sometimes I do I have nights where I'm like I wish I had a boyfriend for this look it'd be nice but at the same time like I that that doesn't interest me because I'm like I I I know that it's not going to happen. I know there's all this ableism that I have to encounter with that just to get even a second date. So it's just exhausting, and it's not that I've given up. I've just reached a point now where I'm happy with the relationships that I can cultivate in other ways. Mm. And you touched on uh, the fact that there aren't enough sort of teachers or role models with lived experiences as visibility. Do you wish you had a role model like yourself when you were young? I do. I, I mean, the role models that I had when I was young were, and I don't know if you would know any of these people, but I had, mm-hmm. well, you would know one. I had Christopher Reeves was a big role model because when I was coming up, he had just had his accident. When I was like 10, he had just had his accident and he was a he was somebody that I could at least look to and be like, oh, he's famous and in a power chair. Wow. And then from a Canadian context, I had someone named... Rick Hansen, who is also like a wheelchair, he was the man that went around the world in his wheelchair. Um, so I had those two as people to look to, but I didn't really have 
someone going through what I was going through who looked like me. And so I do wish that I was that person. And so now when I do my work, I try to be the person that I, that I needed when I was 15. So what would you tell someone with a disability who is queer about, and they're afraid to come out? What would you say to that person? I would say feel that fear be afraid that's okay and it's valid and it's very real and it's okay to feel that and I know what you're feeling and it's like and also I would tell them that this is not the first time you're going to come out you're going to come out a number of times because I've come out as gay I then came out as queer I then constantly when I'm in the gay community I have to come out as disabled about what my needs are the coming out process is something that we've tied so specifically to just being queer mm-hmm. that it's I think it's a misnomer because we we have to do it especially as disabled people we have to do it all the time and I think if you explain it to the person that may be afraid to come out that that this is only one of like a million times you're going to do this so you know dive right in and give it a shot it'll be okay there'll be other times to perfect how it's done give it a shot like I I think that will lessen the fear for them right Mm. and do you think we as a society both in Canada and Australia are we are we making progress I'm sure it's slow but we're making progress aren't we um, that's a good, I mean, I, I would like to think we are, I think, I think we need to change a lot of attitudes first before we do anything else. I think we're running to make buildings accessible when we d- we're failing to look at, especially queer spaces and gay spaces. We're failing to consider how a disabled person might feel if they're in the space. If I don't feel like you're looking at me or paying attention to me or you're, you're acting all weird because I'm a power chair user in, when I'm in the space, then I don't feel like the space is necessarily accessible to me. So we have to do work on teaching these communities, particularly in my case, the gay male community, how to be, just how to, how to interact with a disabled person without hurting them and how to deal with their own ableism around that and show them that it's okay because you know what? One day, all of us are going to live with it, some form of disability and some form of impairment, and we're going to want to start having these conversations now. Mm. Yeah, it's a great message. Now, Andrew, as you know, our podcast is called Grow Bold with Disability, and we always ask our guests one question at the end, and that is, what does growing bold mean to you? <laughs> That's a great question. What does growing bold mean to me? It means not giving a shit. It means just telling your truth. And I think a lot of disabled people because of ableism and because of, um, because of the, the ways we've been silenced by, by society, we don't often say what's on our mind. And so to answer that question, I would say boldly be yourself, tell your disability truth, tell your story, make sure people hear you talk about what's important to you as a disabled person and let people know. And don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about, how it's going to impact everyone just tell your story because we need more of that within the world generally and we need more of that especially within the disability space fantastic andrew thank you so much for joining us today on the grow bold with disability podcast brought to you by ferris care and listeners can find out more about disability after dark and of course more about andrew in the links provided in today's episode show notes andrew thank you so so much for joining us thank you so much i really appreciate it for being here This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. 
We call it Growing Bold. And for over 30 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.